You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back to Deep Dives with Sharks. I am still the host, Alex. I apparently paid the rent because they haven't kicked me out. But I did get a chunk of requests recently on the Instagram, so of course head over that way if you'd like to send any requests, any questions, any comments, any concerns, anything like that. Um, So I'll be doing hopefully another episode later this week because I did realize I missed one, I think in between episode two and three. So I'll try to catch up with that by doing two this week if I have the time. And also, just to give you a little hint, you can try to guess which one will be next. The shark that I will be doing later this week is going to be one that fits very well with the theme for this time of year. Um, Now, this could also lead to a couple ones, at least in my mind, if I were to get this hint, but I think that makes it a little bit more difficult for you guys, so we'll definitely see which one is there. But with this, I also have another request that came from my good buddy Mike, who had a request on behalf of a friend who, at this point, is going to be nameless, simply because I forgot to ask if they want me to say it. So I'm going to be better about that in the future. But of course, once again, if you guys do want to be mentioned on the podcast or not, just let me know, because I know not everybody wants me to simply throw their information out there. But also, of course, I did finally get a great bad shark joke on the Instagram. And this week is going to be, what is a shark's favorite place to live? It's Finland. Because of their fins. It's pretty fantastic. So with that, of course, if you guys have any terrible shark jokes, any questions, suggestions, recommendations, requests, anything like that, feel free to send them to Deep Dives with Sharks on Instagram. And of course, I will definitely make sure in the future to see if you want a shout out or not. But the species that we are going to be looking at this week is going to be the Mako. So this is one that a lot of people might actually know of because they are the fastest shark. But there's two main types of species of Mako, the short fin and the long fin. Now, this is mostly going to be about the short fin simply because that is the one that is more common as it does show up all around the world in tropical and temperate waters. The long fin is strictly going to be in tropical waters. So a lot of this information comes about the short fin, although when it is separate for the long fin, I'll also be sure to talk about that. But these sharks are also going to be known as the Blue Pointer or the Bonito Shark. Now, I know that Blue Pointer name comes from Australia. I'm not exactly sure where the Bonito name comes from, but these are going to reach an average length of 13 feet or about 4 meters long. And they can usually be about 1,200 pounds or 560 kilograms. Now, this is another species that people tend to know about, simply as I mentioned, because they are the fastest. They're also a mascot for a lot of different schools across the country. And also, they are the main character in my favorite Shark Week series, the Monster Mako series. So if you guys need more information about them, definitely give that a look. I do believe it's on Hulu, um, although Hulu doesn't sponsor me, so maybe they will now. But (laughs) with this... Uh, They also are going to be one of the fastest sharks. Uh, They casually swim at about 31 miles per hour, or about 50 kilometers per hour, but they also can use bursts that go up to 46 miles per hour or 74 kilometers per hour. So I didn't realize that their just casual swimming speed was at 31, because that's really, really quick. So 
kind of crazy there. Uh, just didn't really, I've seen them do a lot. Just didn't really realize it was that fast. But they enjoy warmer waters, although they are warm-bodied sharks. They definitely stay within the Gulf Stream and warmer waters off the coast of the U.S., so they tend to enjoy that warmer water even though they have that warmer body temperature. Now, another thing to mention, they're usually going to be further off, so they don't like to be too close in to the shore, usually going around 150 meters or 490 feet. So they're going to be somewhere in that range there. They tend to not go too, too close. Now, of course, they get a little bit closer when it comes to islands or inlets, anywhere where the water goes from pretty deep to pretty shallow very quickly. So especially when there's a gradual... Uh, change there they tend to avoid drop-offs but when it comes to islands their prey also sometimes tend to go around here so it's going to be a little bit different in that regard as well but they are going to feed mostly on cephalopods uh, bony fish smaller sharks sea turtles and seabirds now as i had mentioned in a previous episode i'm not exactly sure which one seabirds do become a part of a shark's diet simply because when pelicans, seagulls, any sort of bird like that is floating on the surface, they tend to just kind of be a really easy target for a shark, especially a breach predator, which I'll talk more about in a second, is going to be able to grab them without them even noticing that they're there. But a breach predator typically is going to attack from the bottom, so that way their prey does not know they're coming. Uh, it's a really nice, quick, easy way to grab them, and then not have to worry about them getting away unless they completely miss the strike. But... A lot of people don't realize what a breach predator is, so quick sidebar on that. I did also have a coworker because I do shark facts at work. It's just kind of fun and keeps me on my toes too, so I enjoy just whichever one I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm trying not to repeat it there. I will put them on here, and this podcast actually helped a lot too because there's been a couple things that I've been able to add there. But it just makes it a little bit easier to keep up to date with shark facts, but one of my coworkers came up after I talked about a certain breach predator, which I can't remember which one, but they were asking if the shark lands on the prey rather than grabs it on the way up because I feel like that would be a really bad surprise tactic, especially if like something flies by you and all of a sudden you're like, what in the world was that? And then it lands on you. I feel like you have plenty of time to notice it in that time. So what a shark does instead, especially breach predators, is they will go from the bottom. They'll grab the prey as they hit it from below, and then they tend to have a lot of momentum uh, and all that energy still going through. So they will usually end up leaving the water with a lot of speed still, which will send them into the air still holding the prey, at which point they land down and then are able to eat it. So they're not dive-bobbing their prey. That'd be kind of funny. Um, I really wish there was a shark that would, but kind of like it's not like a fox. So a fox dives on top of where the prey is. A shark hits it as it comes up and then just lands wherever. So it's more of a precise upward motion rather than a downward motion. But they do also need to make sure they can consume 3% of their body weight daily to make sure they have enough calories to maintain speed and catch their fast prey as they do go after dolphins and swordfish as well. Speaking of swordfish, they do frequently get murked by them, meaning that swordfish tend to attack them quite regularly. Uh, they have been found to have detached swordfish bills impaled on them, which I do believe is the nose of the, that nice long nose of the swordfish there, uh, which suggests that they are seriously injured or even killed by swordfish. Now, with this, it is kind of neat. Uh, they have, I believe, right around Sicily found makos that have these impaled into their heads. So swordfish are apparently very accurate with it. The problem is, it, since they're detached, definitely means that they've lost it. Um, so kind of a lose-lose, but I guess it works. <laughs> um, but it definitely is something to be definitely talked about. 
Now, the mako's upper jaw tends to have flatter, wider teeth that help them to holding on to prey, especially when they're moving at fast speeds. Grabbing on like that, if you only have sharper teeth that impale, it's going to go all over the place. So they have those to help hold on, especially when they're eating larger prey like swordfish and dolphin. And then the slender teeth at the bottom are going to be more for impaling, which help when it comes to going quickly, uh, grabbing something or inflicting a quick damage, injury, something like that, just to help to make sure that the prey doesn't quite get away or go as far. Easy way to distinguish a mango from mango, a mako from other sharks is that their bottom teeth definitely protrude out of their mouth a lot more, and they definitely look very uneven, so a lot of times you'll see that nice slender body um, also helps them to get those high speeds, and it's also going to have the lower jaw that just has multiple rows of teeth that none of them seem to line up, and they all come very far outside of its mouth. Now, they also can live to up to 32 years, depending on gender. Uh, the oldest female was found in Florida, uh, she was going to be 32 years old. Meanwhile, the oldest male was 29, also found in Florida. So very similarly to humans, Makos apparently do retire in Florida, which is kind of neat. Uh, also, that is a terrible joke because the species actually just found in Florida. They don't all flock to Florida at the end of their lives. There are a lot of Makos around Florida, though. They do live in the Gulf and then around those warmer waters, as mentioned. But they tend to also be more offshore, so you're not really going to see them quite as much. Unlike that great hammerhead you saw, they tend to be closer to shore. So definitely be careful with that. Also, one thing I should have mentioned in the hammerhead episode, there's about like a migration of them every year. And like 400 of them will swim up the coast. So around March and April and May, just be careful. There's a lot of great hammerheads and other hammerhead species around Florida. So just just be on your toes. That's a little sidebar from, from last week or the week before. Actually, a couple weeks ago. I can't even remember what episode I did. Anyway, another neat thing that I learned this week is that Makos have one of the largest brain-to-body ratios among st sharks that were studied, meaning they tend to have a high level in of intelligence, especially when compared to other sharks. So they're nerds. It works out. But in the studies, Makos were allowing researchers to touch them when offered bait, kind of as an... Uh, as a reward system that was set up there, same way that you would train a dog by giving them a treat. Uh, but this would be really hard to utilize, especially because this is only available in nature. Um, they, any attempt that they've had to keep a Mako in captivity has not gone very well. Uh, they've all died. There were four attempts, I believe. Uh, so a three-foot Mako died uh, two days after being put in captivity in 1970. Another two died in California in 1978 when they couldn't stop hitting the wall that they were confined to after three days in captivity. And then the longest run was in the New Jersey Aquarium in 2001. That one survived for five days and then unfortunately died as well. Now, the numbers are very bleak. Uh, nothing about that makes me think that any aquarium wants to attempt it again. And it has not been attempted in over 20 years. Now, there was that break from 1978 and then in 2001. I do believe we have more research on them at this point as well, but it's very similar to like the great white. Uh, it's a species that just doesn't do well in captivity. I don't believe any of them have made it either. So it's going to be one of those things that I think it's going to be either a great long while or it's going to be just something that isn't ever going to work out. Now, it's also a very common sport fish. So many anglers will aim to catch makos, which has harmed their numbers. They're also common victims of bycatch while going after bony fish like tuna, so it makes it a little bit difficult there to keep their numbers up as well. 
Since 1580, there have only been nine known Mako Bites, and only three of them were fatal. So that is actually an insane, like, that's an insane number. That's a span of over 300, that's actually a span of over 500 years. Yeah, so a span of over 500 years, there's only been nine known Mako Bites. That's kind of crazy, because especially when people really attribute a lot of attacks and bites to Makos, the fact that only nine have been known is kind of crazy. It's crazy low. Um... But they don't treat humans as prey. Uh, just the shark has a lot of speed and power, so usually they get blamed for a lot of attacks as they happen pretty quickly. I should say bites, not attacks there. Um, but with this, they usually come after the shark has been hooked or if someone keeps harassing it. So the whole moral of this podcast, don't mess with sharks and you won't get bit. You stop messing with sharks, the bites will go down. It's also why California did their whole law to try to make sure that people would stop interacting with sharks quite as much because you remove people from the sharks the sharks can't bite people kind of works that way but they mostly bother spear fishermen after they catch the fish uh now that when i say they bother them i mean that they usually smack them with their tail which i think is kind of hilarious especially because mostly when you hear that a shark is bothering something it's going to be with its head but mako's using that intelligence i've realized that if they just smack a spear fisherman with their tail it usually shocks them a little bit and they'll drop the spear and then they can get the fish off the spear so it's kind of a really smart tactic really annoying for spear fishermen but that's actually kind of awesome because they realize that they can't bite a human or else that's going to cause injury so they'll just hit them it's kind of funny there but they also tend to swim in a figure eight pattern with an open mouth before they attack so it gives them a little bit of a warning sign of i'm about to mess you up so you better do something about it so kind of neat there as well but that is what i have for makos this week of course, any other questions or comments, anything like that, can send it over to me on the Instagram. For the shark safety aspect of this week, I decided I was going to go with how to properly feed a shark. Now, this I got from the National Aquarium in Baltimore, many, many Shark Week uh, programs, and also the Georgia Aquarium, too. So, from here, there's been about a million and a half videos you can find online where people get bit because they're just doing something really stupid when it comes to interacting with a shark. Pretty much the whole moral of the podcast that I just mentioned. Dear God, I'm losing my, my tongue here. <laughs> but the whole moral of the podcast is to just stop messing with sharks. The less you mess with a shark, the more likely you are to not get bit. That was a really weird way to put that. But you don't mess with a shark, you don't get bit. A lot of them are provoked bites, so that's usually what happens. Very few unprovoked bites, so of course still, even if you're just hanging out, sometimes it doesn't work out now mind you it's a very very low number as i mentioned this one i don't think they mentioned provoked versus unprovoked uh, of course with the thresher all of them were provoked as they just kept playing with the tail nurse sharks never bite people unless provoked uh hammerheads as well i think hammerheads had one of the li largest with 17 unprovoked attacks um but no fatality so there's a lot of different things that go into getting bitten by a shark um, but especially if you just don't mess with it, that really decreases your chances. So respect the shark, and it will, for the most part, respect you. Now, when feeding a shark by hand in any setting, it is still very important to be aware of your surroundings. Now, even if you're in an aquarium, you want to make sure you're paying attention, because if you go to feed uh, shark A, and then shark B is looking around, it, you might not see that one coming. So just make sure you're still being aware. Now, you don't have to worry about a shark sneaking up behind you if you're in an aquarium unless you're, like, in a dive suit. But for the most part, like, you're going to be in a controlled situation with someone who's 
train there. So the odds that something goes wrong, very low, but still not zero. But with this as well, you want to make sure you're also not going to taunt the shark. Uh, so just simply drop it once the shark sees the food. It's the same way that like a dog follows your arm. When you spin around, it's going to do it. But a lot of times you'll see videos where like the person holding the bait will keep moving their arm away from the shark. And then once their arm stretches out, it's now in line with you. And once it leaves the sight line of the shark, the shark's going to use those senses it has to detect the electronic pulses that are coming from the next nearest thing, which is going to be now you. So because it's looking for the bait, but it gets the pulse from you, it's going to bite you and then realize that you're not what it wanted, so it's going to spit you back out. But it just is one of those things that is just very easy to to stop. Like, it just works. But you also want to make sure you're wearing the appropriate clothing. Now, even if you are in an aquarium, this is probably where it's going to be most important because otherwise they're going to give you the right things. But if not, just wear the right appropriate clothing. So a dive suit would be fantastic. But if you're in an aquarium and you're just feeding them from the side of a tank, making sure you're not wearing anything that's going to be too loose, hanging down, same rules that applied in all of your high school and college science classes. Don't wear anything you wouldn't wear to lab because the same way that something can get caught while you're doing the Bunsen burner or anything like that. I don't know why I went with the Bunsen burner. That was the first scientific thing I could come up with that would actually hurt you, but scalpel, screw it. Let's go with that. But the only thing that would like get caught on that same way when your shark's going for the food might grab it and then get caught on you and now you're either losing it or it's going to pull you in by accident. So same way you shouldn't wear like long hoodie strings. Uh, they might get caught up by accident. Anything like that, anything to minimize that, going to be the best idea. Now, a little bit of a stretch there too. Just make sure you're also not wearing like high heels or anything like that. I mean, I don't know why anyone would try to wear like stilettos to go feed a shark. Men especially, you know, wear what you're comfortable with. But like, you know, sometimes they make them calves look good. So do it. But <laughs> with this, it's going to make sure that you want to wear something that you're going to be able to have good grip. And of course, when you're feeding it, you want to make sure you're not going to have anything hanging down, no very loose sleeves. Same thing that I just pretty much said. So don't be the bycatch for the shark. Just they don't want you. We didn't mean to catch the shark when we were catching the tuna. They don't mean to catch you when they're trying to get the bait as well. But with this, that's uh, there was also uh, for the appropriate clothing too. There was going. There's one video that I saw back in 2017 on Shark Week. I think it was. But this guy was feeding a shark. I think it was a tiger shark. I like how all this isn't really pertinent information, but I'm still going over it. But he was wearing a Speedo while he was doing it, and it was on World's Dumbest, too, when World Dumbest was hosting, um, and they were just roasting this guy so hard. And he honestly deserved it because that is a dumb move. Now, mind you, if you're going to be diving, recommend a dive suit. I don't think you could go wrong with that. But it's not going to protect you 100% from a bite. I will say, though, that when you do – or when – if you do get bit, that it's going to provide a little bit more protection. It still has more that it has to go through, so that way it's not just going to easily go into your skin. It's going to require a little bit more to get through that. And by that point, they might already realize this isn't what I want, and they'll just spit you back out. So it works a little bit. You still might get a little bit hurt, but it's going to be better than just skin-on-tooth contact there. Now, he also did that thing where he kept his arm moving, the shark lost sight of the bait, and then bit him. So once again, going back to the very first point or second point that I made, Drop the food. It's it's going to be so much better. But we do also have to go into shark news. 
there are two stories that I have this week. The first one is that the Great White leaped out of water during surfing competition, and that was from KTLA. Now, this took place near San Clemente during a surf competition where a surf photographer got an honestly great shot of the shark breaching behind the surfer. Now, the shark looked like it was going to be like 25 to 50 yards away, so it wasn't very close at all. Um, a lot of, like, the title alone kind of makes it sound like the shark was right behind him trying to bite him. It really wasn't. It was in the distance catching food. Um, and it actually was really cool shots. I definitely recommend looking these up. But it gets its food. It does the breach. Pretty cool. Um, now, it's also not the only shark that breached in that area. Um, it's pretty common to happen there. Usually in areas where surfers like to be, where the water's deep enough to get those nice big waves, you're going to get some big sharks too. And they tend to not mess with surfers. But a lot of times we also don't hear about all the times that sharks show up and nothing bad happens because what gets better press is when the shark does something insane uh, and bites someone or someone does something insane and gets bitten. So that's usually going to get a lot more because that's, I mean, fear sells. That's why a lot of people are afraid of sharks. That's also why I'm here talking about it, trying to make sure that you're not as terrified. But don't worry, I totally understand if you are. It's kind of a touchy subject, but... It just kind of shows you that sharks can vibe in the water uh, that people are surfing, uh, and it's just not going to always end in someone getting bit, because the shark kind of just went up, got its food, the surfer was none the wiser, they probably saw the pictures later and were like, holy crap, but for the most part, didn't nothing bad happened from it. Um, now, it didn't mention whether or not the surf competition was halted or postponed, uh, anything like that, it just re resulted in no injuries, and that's really all we got for that one, so... Thankfully, no one was hurt, and I mean, once again, we had another surfing one uh, last week. So, of course, as different temperatures happen, more people go surfing in certain areas, and it's usually going to be around bigger sharks. So just, of course, always be vigilant. Um, and then, of course, if you feel unsafe, just get out of the water. One of your safest bets. I don't think anyone's ever been standing on a beach and been bitten by a shark. Now, I could be wrong because someone's probably an idiot and grabbed a shark and was walking it somewhere and it bit someone. So there's probably been someone. I don't know who. I don't have any facts on that. I just know that people do some really, really weird things. But the next one that I have is that a surf ski race contestant was thrown from a ski by a great white. And this was reported on by the Washington Post. Now this took place, tooks, takes place near Adelaide where a 19-year-old surfer, that's in Australia, by the way, for those of you that don't know, where a 19-year-old ski surfer was thrown into the water after the Great White took a bite out of his ski. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what I'm supposed to call that, simply because I don't know what a surf ski is, and everything I looked up didn't really give me a better understanding. So it's some sort of watercraft that you can use. Someone please DM me on Instagram to tell me what the hell a surf ski is. But... Once he got thrown off of his surf ski, he was able to swim to another competitor who saw the thing that happened and let him on, uh, and then at which point a rescue boat came, grabbed him, and got him back to shore. So he was completely fine, thankfully. He was no injuries there. Said he was startled. I mean, I think I would be too, even when I mentioned, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, when I was swimming with whale sharks, I mean, I was startled, and I signed up for it and knew that I was going to see a whale shark that day. So sometimes it's just a startling thing, no matter who you are. But uh, people were advised not to enter the water for the rest of the day after the incident, and I feel like the shark was mostly just trying to figure out what the craft was. It 
I mean, same thing to me. It didn't know what in the world it was. So try to figure it out. And then I feel like the material that it was made of, it just made it very easy for the shark to take a chunk out of it. Um, from there, it just kind of bit a hole in it. It started sinking. He was able to get out the way. It did say that it lifted it out of the water a little bit. So this one, I think, kind of came to breach a little bit. It didn't say, like, how high or how much he got thrown. But, I mean, his family also was really worried, and thankfully everything turned out fine. He's a-okay, nothing happened, and I think he's going to be back in another race sometime soon. But those are the two stories I had today. I finally got an international one going to, I usually get ones from the U.S., so I got another California one, and then finally got one from out in Australia. But as the weather starts to change, you're probably going to get a lot more from Australia too. But that's really all I have. I cannot thank you all enough for being here and listening. I'm honestly surprised as to how well this podcast has been doing. Uh, and I really appreciate everyone being here. This one was a little bit shorter than usual, only by a few minutes, though. But, you know, Fastest Shark gets the quickest episode, I guess, so far. But we'll probably do a little bit later. Uh, of course, if people have more questions, I'll try to address those as well. Uh, be sure to follow Deep Dives with Sharks on Instagram to ask any questions, send jokes, or just get more updates. Uh, also, show you the podcast to friends, family, cats, dogs, even your fish. Your fish might be a little bit uncomfortable with the source material, but... I mean, they'll get over it. They're okay. They're a fish. Just give them a little bit of extra fish food. They'll blub at you happily, and that'll be that. You know, it works out. But thank you all again so much for listening, and I will see you in the next one. Take care, guys.